Well, good morning. Take your Bibles this morning and turn to Luke 24, Luke chapter 24. And happy Easter. How y'all doing? It's good to see you today is a really, 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 really good day because of what we're celebrating today, because of what today is all about, which is not Easter egg hunts, as fun as those are, even in the rain. It's not all about the honey-baked ham or the deviled eggs or the macaroni salad and all that good stuff you may be eating at Grandma's house later on, as great as that is. It's not all about dressing up in our Easter outfits, right, today, even though y'all look really good in your Easter outfits. Some of us look like our wives took us to Men's Warehouse this week. The shop. Nothing wrong with any of that. All of that is good. All of that is great. All of that is awesome. All of that is fun. It's just not what today is all about. Easter Sunday is all about us gathering here with a body of believers to intensely and intentionally celebrate the most significant day in all of human history, a day that we should be celebrating every day in the life of a Christ follower, the day that Jesus rose from the dead. That's what all the hype is about this morning. Today we're celebrating the truth that Jesus Christ is not just some dead historical figure. He wasn't a flash in the pan, first century miracle worker. He wasn't just a preacher of the past. We're gathering today to worship and celebrate Jesus Christ, who is the wrath of God absorbing, who is the death-defeating, sin-forgiving, funeral-canceling, resurrected Lord and Savior of the world. Jesus is alive. Church, we got some really, really good news to celebrate this morning. The tomb is empty. Death is defeated. Jesus is alive. Anybody with me? I want you to do something with me. Stand up. Stand up. Turn to Luke chapter 24. We're going to read there in just a moment. Hey, we get excited about a lot of things at a lot of different places. We raise our voice and go crazy at football games and shout about a bunch of college guys moving a football up and down a field. We shout for our teams. We shout at baseball games. We shout at concerts. Nothing wrong with any of that. I'm right there with you. A lot of fun and all of that, but none of that should get us more fired up and passionate than the truth that our Savior Jesus Christ lives. I don't know if you're with me. That was kind of a weak amen. So I'm going to give you a chance to be with me on this, all right? So I'm going to count down from three in just a moment and we're going to declare a truth that I want us to declare so loudly if somebody's walking down riding their bike down Schindler Drive right now they're going to go what in the world is going on in that place we're going to declare together this phrase Jesus is alive Jesus is alive are you with me let's do it loud all right three two one Jesus is alive that's what I'm talking about yes he is and this morning we're going to Look at the resurrection story from Luke's gospel, Luke chapter 24. Let's begin to read in verse 36. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. They were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. He said to them, Why are you troubled and why do, you, why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, uh, that, it is my, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. And when he had sent them, his hands and his feet. And while they dis- still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? I love this part. They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it before them. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. And that repentance and forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are my witness of the, witnesses of these things. And behold, I'm sending the promise of my, of my Father upon you, which was the Spirit. But stay in the city until you are clothed with that power from on high. Would you have a seat as I pray? 
God, we are thankful today that we serve a living God, that we get to worship a resurrected Savior. We are thankful today that our praise, that our prayers don't hit the ceiling of this place, but you are here with us, you are in our midst, and we're thankful again for the truth that we get to celebrate on this Easter Sunday morning, that Jesus is alive. Lord, I'm thankful that today you're revealing yourself to us. Lord, I'm thankful today that we can be in your word where you reveal yourself to us most powerfully. And so let, it, let us lean in. I pray your spirit would take control of this service. I pray you'd protect this room from this man's opinion, but we would hear from your word alone and that you would change us and conform us more to the image of your son. We ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. So what we just read right there records what happens immediately after the resurrection of Jesus. And I want you to notice something right out of the gate right here, that Jesus' first order of business after he rises from the dead is to reveal himself to his disciples. He wants his followers to know that he's alive. He wants his followers, followers to know that he loves them and that he's with them. And what I want to submit to you, big picture today from this text, is the same Jesus that we're reading about right here that's revealing himself, who's living, revealing himself to these disciples, is alive today, continuing to reveal himself to people right here in 2023. And this text shows us three ways that Jesus revealed himself to his people then that are the same ways he continues to reveal himself to people today. Number one is this. The risen Christ reveals himself through evidence. Look at verse 36. It says, as they, the disciples, were talking about these things. Now, what things are they talking about? They're talking about everything that occurred that's recorded in verses 1 through 12 of the same chapter. Jesus died on the cross. He was laid in a borrowed tomb. On the third day, Mary and Martha and the other Mary, they run to the tomb. They go to the tomb. They find that the stone's been rolled away. There's an angel there that tells them that he is risen. They run and go find Peter. Peter and John run to the tomb. It's empty. Jesus isn't there. They go find the other disciples. They huddle up and they begin to talk about it. All right? They're talking about this. And then all of a sudden, what does it say? Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace to you. And then what happens next? They hug Jesus. They say, we knew it was true, and they have a big party. No, that's not what happens. It says they literally thought they were seeing a ghost. It looked like Jesus. It sounded like Jesus, but instead of believing that it was actually Jesus, it says they were very scared, troubled, and skeptical. Why? You say, why did they feel that way? Well, because a man who they knew really well, a man who they spent a lot of time with, a man that they knew when he was living, they watched him die on a cross, and now he's standing there talking to them, which feels really crazy to them. It doesn't seem real. Because they understand what everybody else understands in humanity, that usually people who die stay dead. And what we're celebrating today, the resurrection of Jesus, right? the truth that Jesus was a real man, who really died, really flatlined, really stopped breathing, was completely dead, was in that grave for a few days, and then went from being dead to being undead. That's a wonderful truth, a life-changing truth to a lot of us in the room who are believing Christians. But for some people, and you may be here today, that may sound completely crazy to you. And what I want you to see in this text is that to these first followers of Christ, who Jesus is revealing himself to, they thought it was crazy as well. It says that they were standing around talking about these things. There were already rumors, rumbling, moving around Jerusalem. People trying to make sense of what happened. Maybe somebody stole the body. Maybe somebody paid off Roman soldiers. There's a lot of different theories that are swirling around, even in the minds of the disciples. But do you know what one of the theories was not? Well, maybe he became undead. You know? You say, well, how do you know that that's true? 
How can you say that? Because Jesus is literally appearing to them. And rather than saying, Jesus, it's you. You did exactly what you said you would do. You're alive. They think they're seeing a ghost. They think it's more plausible that they would be seeing a ghost than that a man would actually come back from the dead. You know, one of the more popular modern skeptical takes on biblical Christianity is that one of the reasons why biblical Christianity got so much traction in the first century is because a bunch of poor, unenlightened, superstitious people believed that a man could actually come back from the dead. Modern, enlightened people will look back on all of this and they'll say they're poor, little, primitive, ancient hearts. I'm sure they meant well, but they didn't understand basic science. They didn't, they didn't go to science class. They didn't understand the scientific method. They didn't have the science fair. They didn't understand a basic scientific principle and truth that you can't be dead and then come back to life. But if you study the text, you realize they definitely understood that. That's why, best case for them, they think they've got to be seeing a ghost. He can't actually be alive. They don't believe it. But notice how Jesus meets them in their doubts. He meets them right where they're at, and he invites them to come and examine the evidence. He invites them to come and deal with the empirical, verifiable, tangible evidence. He says, come and engage all of your senses. Look at my hands. Look at my feet. Engage the data. I'm not a ghost. I'm really alive. It's really me. And I want you to know that he invites people today to do the exact same thing. Don't be afraid to examine the evidence for the resurrection. If you're a skeptic this morning, I want to encourage you to consider the historical reliability and consistency of the New Testament. I invite you to consider things like the fact that there have been over 23,000 archaeological digs directly related to historical events revealed to us in the Bible. And not one of those digs out of the 23,000, not after one of those digs, not after one of those digs has something in the Bible had to be edited to match what they dug up. Every dig keeps confirming the historical accuracy of the Bible, which means we have a biblical faith, yes, but we also have a historical faith. Consider this morning the appearance of Jesus revealed to us through the gospel accounts to more than 500 people after he was raised from the dead. Consider that family members of Jesus who grew up with him, who knew him best, after they see him raised from the dead, they worship him as Lord. Even his, even his younger brother worshiped him as Lord. That's evidence right there. I mean, if you got anybody, you got an older brother. How many of you got, if you had an older brother going around telling everybody he was God and telling you he was God, how much evidence would it take for you to actually believe that he was God? I'll tell you what it would take. It would take a very, very big and a very, very convincing miracle. And that's what James experienced. The resurrection of his older brother, Jesus, from the dead. So even the fact that his little brother was convinced speaks to the validity and the historical accuracy of a bodily resurrection of Christ. Consider the radical conversions of people in the first century who were adamantly opposed to Jesus, enemies of the cross who were radically changed when they encountered the resurrected Christ, like Paul. Consider the rapid spread of Christianity across the entire world in the first century, even though it was happening in the face of a very violent, bloody persecution against the church. Consider how in our modern, enlightened world this morning that 2.38, or 2. I'm sorry, 3. Point eight billion, that's it. People claim to know and love and worship Jesus this morning. A whole bunch of people are convinced that Jesus Christ is the resurrected Savior and Lord of the world. And also, lean in and listen to this. Consider how uniquely different Jesus is when compared to all the other great leaders of the different world religions that we know about. Many have been compared to Jesus. Muhammad, the 
chief prophet of Islam claimed to be God's chief prophet. He said Jesus is a prophet, but he said that he was the chief prophet. But you know what happened on June 18th? Actually, June 8th, 632 AD. You know what happened in Medina? Muhammad died. And today you can go to Saudi Arabia and you can visit the mosque where his remains are. Or what about Gandhi who claimed to know the truth about spirituality and God? You know what happened to him on June the 30th, 1948? He was shot and killed. His ashes were scattered throughout India. And the next day, the national newspaper in India reported it like this. Gandhi has been killed. The second crucifixion in the history of the world has been enacted on a Friday. The same day that Jesus was done to death. 1,915 years ago. Listen, Gandhi may have had a Friday like Jesus his Friday, but he didn't have a Sunday like Jesus his Sunday. Today you can go visit the remains of Muhammad in Saudi Arabia. Today you can go visit the sites where Gandhi's ashes were dispersed. And today you can also go to Jerusalem and you can go and find the tomb of Jesus. And you know what? You're not going to find Jesus there. He's not there. He's alive. Consider the evidence of the empty tomb this morning. Jesus told his disciples, come and look. Come and engage the evidence. And this morning, don't be afraid to engage the evidence. Don't be afraid to investigate the evidence. He tells you the same thing today. Come with your doubts. Bring your questions. You're not the first one to have those. Engage the evidence like the disciples did. Now, what's interesting, though, is that even with this evidence, literally standing in front of them, talking to them, they're still not completely convinced. Look what it says in verse 41. It says, And while they still disbelieved for joy... In other words, it still seems too good to be true. And so Jesus, I think this is really interesting, he presents this last little piece of empirical evidence for them to grapple with. It says, and while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, they're gobsmacked, all right? He said to them, have you anything here to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate it before them. All right, so this is, this is more evidence of the resurrection. He's doing this on purpose, all right? He said, give me something to eat. He eats the fish as if to tell them, hey, I'm a real person in a glorified body. It's me. I'm risen from the dead. Which, by the way, time out right here. I just got a little excited about this this week. The fact that this is Jesus in his glorified, resurrected body. A little snapshot of the glorified, resurrected body that we are going to exist in one day. In the new heavens and the new earth. Right? And I look forward to having that new body. Hey, I, I'm with you. Uh, we won't have any pains or aches. We won't get sick anymore. But this reminds me, we're going to get to eat for all of eternity. And all the Baptist people said, Amen. right. We love to eat. Anyway, let's keep going. So they're still in a state of disbelief, which brings us to our next point. The risen Christ reveals himself through his word. Not just through evidence, but also through his word. Look at verse 44 again. Then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you. That everything written about me, Jesus, in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms, that's kind of shorthand for the Old Testament, must be fulfilled And then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. All they had then, by the way, was the Old Testament. So that's what he's referring to. And he said to them, thus it is written, that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name to all the nations, beginning from Jerusalem. So up to this point, what's going on? Jesus has revealed himself through the evidence But right here, this is really, really, really important because he doesn't want the disciples' faith to just rest and be rooted in miracles and personal experience. He wants them to see that the resurrection is actually embedded on every page of Scripture. He wants them to understand that this isn't anything new. He wants them to understand this isn't a freak miracle, that this is the very centerpiece of redemptive history. 
And so to help them understand, it essentially tells us in verse 44 that Jesus has like a little Bible study with these doubtful disciples. What would that have been like? Have you ever been to a bad Bible study? I have. I remember in college, I went to a Bible college. Usually it was a student-led college Bible studies they'd have all, all across the campus when we should have probably been finding some wiser, older, more mature people to lead those. you got roommate Ricky over here leading a Bible study, pulling things out of context, uh, you know, kind of trying to lead all the guy, freshman guys in the room to wash each other's feet. True story, I left. I didn't even stay. Like, you know, nobody touching my feet in the name of Jesus. I'm taking the free slice of pizza you lured me here with, and I'm leaving. I've been to some bad Bible studies. I've been to some good Bible studies. But how amazing would it be to be in this Bible study right here that Jesus is leading? Probably the best Bible study to ever happen as he walks these disciples through the Old Testament. It says he opens their minds to how the scriptures are all pointing to one person, one hero, Jesus Christ, the Messiah. He takes them through the scriptures to help them to grasp and embrace the truth of how Calvary and the empty tomb has always been the key piece of his eternal plan of redemption for the world, redeeming a people to himself from every tribe, people, tongue. He helps them see how all the way through Scripture, it was all pointing to Jesus the entire time. He helps them see how it was right there in Genesis all along. Jesus is the seed of the woman that crushes the head of the serpent. How in Exodus, He's the Passover lamb who takes away the sins of the world. How in Leviticus, Jesus is the great high priest who's interceding for His people. How in Numbers, Jesus is the living water in the desert that you drink it, you'll never be thirsty again. In Deuteronomy, Jesus is the coming prophet greater than Moses. In Joshua, He's the commander of the Lord's army leading us to eternal victory. In Judges, Jesus is the picture of the true and perfect judge who comes to liberate us from evil. In Ruth, Jesus is our loving redeemer. In First and Second Samuel, Jesus is the greater prophet and priest. In First and Second Kings, Jesus is the greater king who came to rule. In First and Second Chronicles, Jesus is the promised son of David who will come and reign eternally. In Ezra and Nehemiah, we studied this last year, the whole incredible story is presented, an even more incredible picture of Jesus who comes to restore our worship and protect his people forever. In, he, in Esther, uh, Jesus is the one who puts his life on the line as our advocate and restores us to royalty. In Job, Jesus is the mediator between God and man. In Psalms, I'm halfway there. Jesus is the king who's given the ultimate dominion and glory. In Proverbs, Jesus is the embodiment of wisdom. In Ecclesiastes, it's Jesus who is our true joy and meaning and delight. In Song of Solomon, Jesus is the faithful and devoted love. In Isaiah, it's Jesus who is the suffering servant. In Jeremiah, he is the weeping Messiah broken over the brokenness and sin in the world. In Lamentations, it's he who assumes the wrath of God on our behalf. In Ezekiel, it's Jesus who's the son of man. In Daniel, it's Jesus who's the one who's in the fire with us. And he's the one who throws himself in the furnace of God's wrath for us. In Hosea, Jesus is the faithful spouse remaining ever faithful to us even when we betray him in Joel it's Jesus sending a spirit in Amos it's Jesus delivering justice in Obadiah Jesus is a picture of the judge who punishes those who do evil in Amos he's the one who delivers justice to the oppressed in Jonah Jesus is the greater missionary who rises from the belly of the grave pursuing the undeserving in mercy in Micah Jesus is the one who casts our sins into the sea of forgetfulness in Nahum Jesus is the one proclaiming true world peace in Habakkuk it's Jesus who crushes in justice in Zephaniah it's Jesus who's the warrior mighty to save in Haggai it's Jesus who restores our worship in Zechariah Jesus is the pierced Messiah pierced for our transgressions and in Malachi it's Jesus who's the righteous one who brings healing to all of his people and that's just the Old Testament 
The whole New Testament is all about one person. There's one star of the story and it's Jesus. And Jesus opens their minds to see that he's always been God's plan A. Opens their mind. In other words, this is their light bulb moment. This is when their hearts are filled with faith to see Him for who He is, to understand the person and work of Jesus Christ. This is where they connect the dots and they realize this isn't game over. We thought we had wasted over these last hours and over this last little bit of time. We, we, we were thinking we might have wasted the last few years of our life following a rabbi who was a really good rabbi, but now he's dead. This is the moment they realize Jesus is alive and the cross and the resurrection proves that he is the Messiah. He's the Savior of the world that all of the Old Testament has always pointed to. And very practically for us this morning, if you want to hear from Jesus, if you want to know Jesus, If you want to see and experience Jesus, look no further than this book. This is the living Word of God. 66 books written by 40 different authors in three different languages, written over the course of 1,500 years, and it's all telling one story, pointing to one person, pointing to one crucified, risen Savior of the world, Jesus Christ. And from Genesis to Revelation, it is revealing the person and work of Jesus. You know, there's a lot of people who think in their mind, You know, if I could just be there, if I could just see Jesus, you know, you, first of all, these are questions you need to be asking. You need to be wondering what in the world 2,000 years ago rocked the entire world that changed even our calendar. You say, I'll do fine without Jesus. I can escape the presence of Jesus. I can escape the message of Christianity. No, you can't. It's attached to your birth date. I was born in the year 1,982. 1,982 years from what? Something happened. And as you're thinking about what happened, maybe you're thinking, man, if I could just go back, if I could be like these disciples, if I could just see Jesus with my eyes, if I could just see him physically, if I could just see him just perform one miracle, that would get me over the final hump. And I would believe a lot of us have had that thought before. A lot of us may be thinking that tonight. But you know what? That's not true. It wouldn't get you over the final hump. You say, how do I know that? Look at the disciples. They had all of that. But those things are not what fully convinced them. What won their heart was the witness of the Word of God. And that's what will turn the light on in your heart to see the person and the work of Jesus for what it is. Jesus is revealing Himself through evidence. Jesus is revealing Himself through the Word. And then finally this morning, the risen Christ reveals Himself through transformed lives. Look at the last two verses, verse 48. He's talking to his disciples and it says, You are witnesses of these things, and behold, I'm sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. So Jesus leaves them with this powerful promise that he's going to send his Holy Spirit and they're going to be his witnesses to the ends of the earth, which it may not you know, come to a surprise to hear that until you really take a look at what's going on. John... Each of the Gospels are written from different perspectives. None of it uh, contradicts each other, but each of them share some different details. As if you looked uh, with a group of people at maybe the same events, you would walk away with the big details intact. Maybe some different details would stick out to you, but it all corroborate. And that's what happens with the Gospels. But in John's account, we get a different detail thrown in there about this same story as Jesus is appearing to them that we've been reading about this morning. He says that the place that they're in, they're actually hiding in a room. 
After watching Jesus die, they're scared they're going to be next. And so they actually gather together. They lock themselves in a room. They get into a room. They're scared to death that the Jewish people are going to kill them too. So they get in a room, turn out the lights, put a couch in front of the door, and say, shh, everybody get down and shut up. We're dead meat. And so when you consider that, where they're at, and the promise that Jesus is making about them right here, that they're going to be his bold witnesses across the entire world, it's like, Jesus, you may have the wrong room of guys here. You may be able to pick you a better team. I mean, your boys here don't seem like Navy SEAL caliber God followers ready to conquer the next mountain that you need to accomplish your mission. This is a group of cowards. I mean, just think about Peter. Remember what he was doing the night Jesus was betrayed? He denied Christ, not to a big, burly, intimidating Roman soldier, but to a preteen little girl. Peter's proved himself to be nothing but a coward. But then you fast forward in Scripture... Just a little bit of time later from him standing in this room with the risen Christ revealing himself to Peter. Peter's a completely different person. You get to Acts chapter 2, you find a completely different, transformed apostle Peter. Jesus has ascended to the right hand of the Father. He sent his Holy Spirit that has filled the life of Peter and these other disciples. And this Peter who was cowardly, who denied Christ, who hid from Jewish men in the city of Jerusalem. You get to Acts chapter 2, a little bit of time right after what we're reading this morning. And this same person who denied Christ, who was a coward, stands up in the middle of the same city he was hiding in and proclaimed, publicly proclaims to a bunch of Jewish people that Jesus is God. That Jesus is alive and that you, a bunch of people killed him, but he loves you and he'll save you. And 3,000 people get saved. How do you explain that kind of transformation? Here's how you explain it. He encountered the risen Christ. He has seen Jesus alive. And it really frees you up to live for Jesus in a bold way when you realize the resurrection's real and death really isn't that big a deal. When you realize the resurrection's real and that it's true and that Jesus lives and he's your Lord and Savior, you realize that death is just a graduation to glory. It frees you up to live boldly for him. And we see this kind of transformation in all of the disciples, most of them who go on to live martyrs or to die martyrs' deaths because of their boldness for the gospel. And here's what I want to celebrate this morning, that this kind of transformation didn't stop in the first century with these first followers of Jesus. This is Jesus who rose on the third day and he's the same Jesus who is alive today, still working in our world, still working in people's lives, still saving sinners by his grace and then transforming their life in power. I've seen this play out in my life. I've seen this play out in people's lives in my family. I've seen this play out in your life. There are stories in this room of people whose lives have collided with the risen Christ and have experienced the transforming power of the risen Christ. I'm looking at some addicts this morning in this room who collided with the risen Christ and are walking in freedom and victory. I'm looking at men this morning who would tell you how selfish and prideful they were and how they didn't know how to relate to their wife with grace and love, but then their life collided with the risen Christ. It changed everything, and they're learning how to do that. I'm looking at people this morning who were enslaved in their sin to other people's opinion of them, masked their phoniness and their insecurity with substances, but they encountered the risen Christ. It changed everything, and they're learning how to walk in a newfound freedom, found in knowing that they're a beloved child of God. I'm looking at some people who were very religious on the outside, very buttoned up and cleaned up on the outside, but empty and dead and hopeless on the inside. But then they met Jesus, tasted His grace, and it freed you 
from the weak and powerless religion that you once worshipped. I'm looking at marriages this morning because of the power of the risen Christ in each of your lives. You have experienced a revival and restoration and experienced healing in a powerful way in your marriage that you would not have had y'all not collided with the power of the risen Christ. In other words, I'm looking at I'm looking at a lot of people this morning who are spiritually dead, who are now spiritually alive because the risen Christ saved you and is changing you. How many of you in this room would say, you know what, I got a story like that. I collided with the risen Christ and he's changed my life. He saved me and he, I'm not perfect, man, but he's working on me. And I'm not the same person I was. And I look forward to one day not struggling the way that I'm struggling right now. But he's in my life. He's with me. He's working on me. And I'm a person who can tell you that I've been transformed by his power. Who would raise your hand and say that this morning? Look around the room. Hands are up all over the place. Here's my question. Have you met this risen Christ? Because today you can. This is more than religion. This is more than folklore. This is reality. That there is a holy God who is real. That in your sin you're separated from this holy God. There's no way you can bridge that separation. But He sent His Son to die on the cross and absorb the wrath of God for sins that we deserve. And He offers redemption. He offers forgiveness. He offers eternal life. He offers salvation. But it comes down to this. Do you believe in the risen Christ? Do you believe that what he did on that cross counts for you? Do you believe that he rose from the dead as a testimony that God has accepted his sacrifice for sins? Is Jesus revealing himself to you through evidence? Is Jesus revealing himself to you through his word? Is Jesus revealing himself to you through undeniable transformed life Lives that have been changed by the gospel this morning. And if that's you, here's the invitation on this Easter Sunday morning to come and see. To come and see. Even with questions, even with doubts, even with uncertainty as to how all this works together, Jesus says, come to me. Take a step of faith. Bring your sins to me. Bring your brokenness to me. Give them to me. Receive grace. Receive forgiveness. Walk in newness of life. That's his invitation to you this morning. He's alive. And for all of us who are in Christ, going back to that video we showed you at the very beginning of the sermon, may the same kind of passion and excitement that gripped the lives of those disciples, when it sunk in, Jesus is certainly alive, our Savior lives, may that be the same passion, the same excitement, the same hope, the same joy that we experience on this Easter Sunday morning in a fresh way. Church, Jesus is alive. We've got so much to celebrate this morning. Because Jesus is alive, we're going to be with Him forever. Because Jesus is alive, 10,000 years from now, we're going to be high-fiving each other in our resurrected, glorified bodies. And we're going to be eating some good food. It's all going to taste good, and we ain't going to gain an ounce from it. The best thing of always think about that is we're going to get to worship and serve and love our resurrected Savior together in our glorified resurrected bodies for all of eternity. And we're going to delight in Him and worship Him and love Him and cherish Him forever. But listen, the truth of the resurrection isn't just something that should impact our future. It has power to change how you live your life right now. Christian, listen, are you bearing the marks of the resurrection in your life this morning? 
Is God changing you and transforming you into a more devoted worshiper, surrendered worshiper of God? There is nothing in your life that has the power to displace the worship in your heart of sin and self like the resurrection of Jesus Christ because He's alive, because He's Lord. And if I believe He's alive and I believe He's Lord, then He's the one worthy to sit on the throne of my life and to reign over every area of my life. Is He changing you into a bold witness for Him? Because of the resurrection, we're freed up to live for Him because, hey, death is no longer a big deal. It's just a graduation step into glory. Is the truth of the resurrection transforming you into the most hope-filled, joy-filled, worshipful, thankful, Jesus-loving person in the room? It should. Especially at the top of the list when you consider and realize the most amazing thing that we get to experience because the resurrection of Christ has taken place. You know what we get to experience because Jesus is alive? We get to forever sit under the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. How good is that? Jesus is alive, meaning God has accepted Jesus' sacrifice for our sins. It is finished. You don't got to earn your salvation. You don't got to defeat your enemies. They're already defeated. We have eternal hope. Our past has been paid for. Our future is secure. Jesus has done it. Jesus is alive. It is finished. Happy Easter. Let's worship. Let's pray.